Journey to Organization, Episode 83, The Torah's Take on Minimalism. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman, advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Hello and welcome to the Journey to Organization podcast. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Begone Personal Organization, and today, the last day of Hanukkah, or at least for me, I want to talk about the Torah's take on minimalism. Now, I'm going to get to putting away Hanukkiot in a few minutes at the end, the listener question. It was a huge question that I got this week. But before I do, I want to talk about what I learned in 929 this week. Now, you've all heard me say this before. I'm doing 929. Now, for those of you who don't know what 929 is, it's there's 929 chapters in the Tanakh, the Bible. And I the program aims to do one chapter a day from Sunday through Thursday. Friday and Shabbat are meant as catch-up days. Right now, we are in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Vayikra, and we're up to or just finishing the Parshat of Mitzorah. Now, a lot of Vayikra can be difficult to get through. It talks about specific building instructions for the Mishkan, and it also talks about sacrifices. But this past week, it talked about purity and impurity related to Saras, which is loosely translated as leprosy. And this section was really fascinating to me. Now you see, I've learned this before. <laughs> this isn't the first time I've learned this, but it's interesting to learn it through the eyes of where I am now in my life versus when I first learned it, you know, when I was in high school. And it's a much different um, vision or way to see things than I used to see it. So in chapter Yudalid, which is 14, in Pasuk Lamed Vav, 36, the Pasuk talks about if you suspect your house has saras, leprosy, um, you're supposed to call the Kohen, but before the co- to inspect it, but before the Kohen comes to your house, you should empty your house so that not everything in your house will become impure. Now, Rashi on Veloyitama Kolashel Babait says um, that, you know, removing everything from your house says that everything in the house won't become impure if the owner does not empty the house because of its contents before the Kohen comes um, because you have this sort of grace period from the time that you need to call the Kohen (laughs) and be like, hey, I want you to come make an appointment, right? And, And before he comes, you have this sort of grace to get everything out of the house because the Torah understands that, uh, you know, these things are not meant to really be wasted. So the Torah gives you this grace period so that not everything will become impure. And by the way, even objects that you do take out of the house that theoretically would become impure if, you know, they were infected with saras, could most of them be... Um, able to be dipped in the mikvah, the ritual bath, so that they could become pure again. And here the Torah is protecting us from loss. Now, the Rashi even says that, you know, the food could still be eaten even if you took it out of the house because food doesn't... um, I guess, take on impurity. And so, and, and, or it does take on impurity, but you're allowed to eat food that is not pure in terms of like, um, tame and tahara, not like kosher, non-kosher. Um, 
Anyway, a few things struck me about this. Now, again, I've read this as an adult in my in my current profession, and I see things a lot differently now, like I said. But I really, I laughed out loud when I heard when I read this because I try to imagine the scenario uh, <laughs> of today. You know, people, if the temple was rebuilt right now and we had these rules in place. I tried to just imagine people in 2018 and 5779 taking every single piece of everything that they owned out of their home and putting it on their front lawn. <laughs> and the idea just it cracked me up. It would take it would take people a long time to get this process done. I'm not even sure if you could do it before the Kohen was able to come to your house and inspect you, right? Like would you have enough time to actually get it all out of your house. I mean, think about most people when they're moving, they take a few weeks to sort of pack things up in advance. And even if you hire movers, they take one day, you know, you're having a team of movers, five, six people, right? Come to your house and pack up all your stuff and move it all out of your house. And it takes time and it takes a lot of effort. And in a lot of cases, it takes a lot of money and and it's hard work. <laughs> um, and I was like imagining people just pulling things out onto their lawns and it it kind of cracked me up a little bit. And I also um, imagined, well, so my husband is a Kohen and I also imagined, you know, the Kohen driving up and down Israel, like I got to go to this house in the north and this house in the south and like... <laughs> And I imagine like if this was my husband's job and he would <laughs> and he would go to people's houses and he would come home and he would say to me, do you even know how much stuff was on these people's lawn? And <laughs> and if the house is declared impure, you know, then the stuff has to sit on the lawn for seven days till the house is declared pure again, a minimum of seven days. Right. And that's if the house becomes, you know, pure again after seven days. And it just, it stuck me that like, this is huge. So the Torah is giving you a chance to protect your stuff by moving it outside so that it doesn't become impure so that you don't have to discard it and suffer a financial loss. But I have to kind of believe that when these rules were written, people had much less stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's just, it just doesn't seem possible that they had as many objects as they do today. And besides for that, even if they did have object, as many objects, what they would have had would have been all natural, if you will. It wouldn't have been made in the same synthetic um, makeup, you know, plastics and stuff that we have today. So could you imagine? I mean, even in Israel, it rains. Right now we're in the raising season. Last week it rained like every single day, thank God, but it rained like every single day. So could you imagine if you got Zaraz and you had to leave your stuff outside on the lawn for seven days and it was raining every single day? I mean, it would be ruined anyways. Like it... It's a lot of stuff, and I'm not sure. Again, I don't. I'm. I'm not an expert in Saras. This was just what I'm taking on face value. So I don't know if it means like you can move it into a storage unit. I have to say that it kind of wouldn't appear to me that moving it into a storage unit that you own would be worthwhile because again, it could be affected by Saras as well, and it's like an extension of your house, and you know all the ways we could go down that rabbit hole. So I just have to assume it's sitting outside uncovered on your front lawn and it could get ruined that way too and 
it it, oh, it's just it's a lot, and and I I it got me thinking even more. What about the losses that we bring upon ourselves by purchasing things that go? You know, we purchase things. Let me just rephrase this a little bit. We we bring losses on ourselves because we purchase things and we don't really need them. And we end up caring for all these things that we don't really need. And I think that we sometimes take financial losses because we actually, not sometimes, we definitely take financial losses because we buy things that we don't really need. And I think that that's a loss. And I, to me, it feels very clear what the Torah is saying to me, or at least it's saying it to me. Don't go out and buy a lot of stuff <laughs> that you don't need because what if this happens? But also we care about what you are buying and we want to protect or, you know, the Torah wants to protect your financial losses. So therefore you should be careful about what you're buying in the first place so that if something does happen, you won't have a big loss. And to me, these few psukim bring out as a clear endorsement for minimalism. I mean, the Torah continues talking about over the next few psukim about saras in the home and specifically what happens to individuals who are, you know, working on saras removal, <laughs> like mold removal, right? Um, they have to wash their clothing and the Torah talks about, continues to talk about different types of Im impurities, which I won't go into, but when you do become impure, you need to wash your clothing, your sheets, your body, and it all comes down to a lot of cleaning. And so it seems to me that the less we have, the easier it is to take care of all the stuff in times of impurity. And regardless of whether we are impure or pure, it's clear to me that your loss will be lessened if you have less stuff. Even today when we don't have the same sort of, you know, dealings with saras, with leprosy, where, you know, you'll become impure after you work on the leprosy removal or your clothes become impure, at least. It's clear that, you know, we need to have less so that we just have less to take care of. And maybe for some of you, it doesn't seem as clear. <laughs> or maybe for some of you, you know, you just don't know how to get to that place where you have less stuff. And the answer to that is just that it comes over time, slowly takes time. Took you time to get into the situation and it takes time to get out of it. And even when you look at the situation of Saras, it comes up on you slowly, right? It doesn't just affect your everything all at once. Maybe you get a little behind your ear. Maybe it comes out on your house first. It could, it doesn't just, you know, come out all over the place. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the, um, spreading of the saras is slow and you have all these opportunities along the way to get rid of it and remove it from yourself. So I think that even when it comes to, you know, the Torah bringing on these punishments for, for I mean, we're not going to go into them, but even coming on to, to things like this where you're going to have to take care of your physical stuff, it's coming on slowly. And I think to me, it just, it's a ringing endorsement for being careful about what you own 
It's about taking time for self-care, noticing that these things are happening in your home, on your body, being aware of what's going on around you. And the truth is, is when you have too much stuff, it's really hard to notice those things about yourself, about your home. Um, And sometimes then it feels like it hits us like a ton of bricks because we weren't paying attention. And then it just comes on like slowly over time, it got worse we ignored it or we didn't notice it. And then all of a sudden, like, again, it hits us like a ton of bricks. And it's a huge problem that we have to deal with. If, if you um, really start to pay attention, it's going to be a lot easier to nip things in the bud. Um, The truth is, is when we declutter, we have to take a hard look at ourselves. How did we get to this place to begin with? Why did we get into this mess of too much stuff? Same thing like with Saras. It's a level of introspection that you have to bring onto yourself. And some people just aren't ready to look at themselves in that way. But I believe that in the times of the Torah, when it was first written, people had a lot less stuff. So it was probably easier to notice when the Saras was coming on, it was easier to notice, you know, when they were starting to get too much stuff. But it was also easier for them to get things out of their home. And in today's reality for most people, I think, and I'm going to put myself in this category, even for me, you don't always notice when things are starting to go bad. And, you know, even for me, it would take me a, a bunch of hours by myself to move everything out of my house, you know, like, the, the beds, the furniture, the, their stuff, their stuff there. I'm, I'm, I like to think that we are living on a more minimalist plane, but we definitely, we have kids and we have our stuff and there's definitely stuff in our house. And, you know, it, it can, it can be difficult. Now, I, like I said earlier, I like to liken the, the, the ancient idea of Saras to the modern version of mold. And remember the story I told you a few weeks ago about a client who had mold in her basement, how she had to take it all out of her house (laughs) or she had to take it all out of the basement, wash it or get rid of it. I mean, it's very, very similar and it's astonishing how much work and, and the mold again, the mold creeps us up, the mold creeps up, up on us slowly we don't always notice that it's happening and slowly it spreads it gets colder and things don't dry right and it spreads and it can be difficult to get rid of it and it's something that we just have to be conscientious about we have to look through our houses and I sometimes think it's a good thing <laughs> it's a good thing for Pesach we have to be so thorough about cleaning right because that gives us a time once a year to really check our houses and notice what's going on in our houses right but that's a whole other subject and I kind of feel bad about talking about Pesach and you know right after Hanukkah but ladies it's coming so over the next few weeks we'll definitely be talking about getting ready for Pesach Anyway, (laughs) um, the Torah here also talks about waste. And what it talks about is removing the stones or wood of a house after the saras is found in the house. Now, it gives an option for sort of remediation, just like with mole, where you can sort of scrape off the saras. But in certain situations, 
you can't scrape off the saras. You have to just take apart the the part of the house and and take the impure parts of the house to the Pasuk says, take it beyond the city to an impure place. Now I couldn't find anything in Rashi about this. I just did a quick cursory glance. I'm sure if I investigated a little more I could um, find more about it in the in the commentators, but what I do know about trash removal from reading about early trash removal is that someone would have had to do this privately. <laughs> it's not like today where we take our trash out to the curb and the trash man come and they pick it up. You would have had to haul the trash to the affected person would have had to haul the trash to the you know city dump outside the city limits right or you would have had to hire someone to remove the waste himself now that's a huge um point to make here because when the affected person would become aware that he has to you know throw something out himself and he has to take it this far distance to get it removed um it 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 says something to you. It's a reminder of, of things. In a way, it's kind of like a punishment. And when we renovate our homes or even when we just take out the trash, we know we're throwing things away, but we don't really have a good sense of where things are going and what happens to these things after we throw them away. Now, old building materials would have been more likely to decompose except for stone but wood would eventually decompose and mortar eventually decomposes the old like mud mortars they would have decomposed because they wouldn't have any um, materials in them that were synthetic and so they would have been able to decompose um, and and to me the trash in biblical times is I don't know, not better, but a different makeup than the trash that we throw away today, which is mostly made of synthetic materials and it doesn't really ever decompose. And besides the way that modern landfills are built, if you will, or engineered, is that they are packed very, very tightly. And there's even if there are things in the trash that could decompose, they don't decompose. They never go away because they're packed too tightly and they don't have enough oxygen to actually decompose. We think that just because we can't see it, that it's gone. It's out of our lives and it is out of our lives, but it doesn't mean that it's gone. And so it's an important uh, distinction to make and, and to be careful that I think that we really need to be clear and considerate about the things that we buy, what they're made out of, how much we purchase, and the total amount of things we have in our homes. And I think that it's really motivational, it was at least for me, to look at um, all of these, it's not a lot of psukim, it's, you know, 10 or 20 psukim, it's not a lot about saras, and, and just thinking about, like, oh my gosh, if we got saras in our house, God forbid, how much laundry would I have to do, <laughs> and how, how many things would I have to schlep to the mikvah, to tovel, to make them pure again, and how much stuff would I have to throw away if, God forbid, the impurity did stretch, 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 yeah, stretch to those items that are not able to be purified, like ceramics? So, I, it's just something to think about, something to 
roommate over like think it through really consider the next few things you're going to be buying not from just the organizational standpoint which is huge and you should consider things from that standpoint but also again from the waste standpoint and for those of you who and there are a lot of you (laughs) who call me up and say I just don't see how zero waste relates to you know organization I think this is an important um an important link is that when we have too much stuff we have too much stuff and we have trouble organizing our lives when we reduce our consumption and be more conscientious about what materials we are using when we do consume things that's huge we're making a huge contribution to um, the betterment of the earth because we're not producing as much trash and we know that producing trash is definitely a problem because it doesn't deteriorate or decompose at the same rate that it would have thousands of years ago okay moving on let's talk about listener questions this week (laughs) this was the biggest question or the the most asked question in my group um how do we clean Hanukkiot so here goes I think I told you that uh, I spray down well actually I don't spray because I don't use Pam but I take some olive oil and a paintbrush and I paint my menorahs with olive oil every night the candle ones anyways um and uh, I paint them so that I could just peel the wax off and it it is really easy most of the time um to just to just clean it off that way so if you do do that you can just soak the Hanukkiot in some like warm soapy water and most of the wax should lift right off. You might have to scrub one or two spots. Specifically like the holder for the first candle might have more like gunk in it that needs to be scrubbed a little but in general it pretty much comes right off. Some people freeze their menorah, uh, their Hanukkiot before they um do this so that the change from the hot to the cold just sort of cracks the wax cracks the wax off and um it just sort of peels right off and other people i know and you can do this depend it depends on what the material of your hanukkiah is but some people pop the hanukkiah on a aluminum piece of aluminum foil put it on in the lowest temperature for like five minutes and then just let it sit there as the oven cools off the wax will just sort of drip right off drip right off That's a good suggestion if you have really, really like a lot of crusty wax and you didn't put any oil on the on the Hanukkiah before you lit the candles. That's the best suggestion. Um, But warm or very hot uh, water just sort of soaking should also push the wax right off for Hanukkiot that were um, oil. I just, again, suggest rinsing them in warm soapy water and everything should, any like wax drippings from a candle that you used to light um, the cups should just pretty much come off easily. Plus it gets all the grease off. Let them dry, wipe them, you can buff them. Now's a great time to buff them dry and wrap them up and put them away. (laughs) We, I told you, we keep our Hanukkiot and a few Hanukkah decorations in a box in our machsan in our storage unit um this year i'm adding i decided to save the reusable plastic cups from the uh, well they're they're really hot uh single-use disposable but i'm gonna i've read a lot about it and i've seen that if you cut the wicks properly f- reuse the wicks uh you know reuse the holder for the wicks but get new wicks if you cut them properly then they 
safety reuse and you can use them again next year so i i'm gonna save some for next year now i wrap everything up in cloth and put it in the mahstan in my storage bin and well my husband does that i'll be honest <laughs> and he while he's in there in the mahsan he um takes the stuff that's pesach and puts it on top of everything else and we just sort of rotate the bins so that they the the next thing that we need is easy to grab when we need it so after we put away the pesach stuff let's say we put the stuff for sukkot on top so we can easily grab the stuff to build the sukkah so I hope that that was a good insight to uh, that question for you, <laughs> for those of you who asked, and it was a lot of you, actually. So good luck on uh, cleaning up from Hanukkah. Thank God my kids are going back to school tomorrow. <laughs> Yay. Um, I would love it if you all uh, continue to stay tuned for more information on the new um, start of Conquer Your Clutter, which will be January 6th. And for now... I wish you a great week and happy organizing. Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at Balagonbegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit balagonbegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.